Rockbox Electronics produce some of the finest guitar pedals we've come across. The Baby Blues is one of the pedals I have on most of the time, and the Boiling Point is the one I click on when I want to make a big statement. Rockbox Electronics are committed to creating the greatest sounds in rock using the best of vintage and modern technologies. Check them out at rockbox.com. But wait, there's more. Paying for full or part-time staff when you just need a bit of extra help isn't really achievable for a lot of businesses. Overflowsupport.co.nz is here to lend a helping hand with admin tasks large or small. With Overflow Support, you just book the time you need when you need it. Find out more at overflowsupport.co.nz. Welcome to Don't Give Up Your Day Job, the podcast, the only podcast you need. Today on the show we have Alex Ferrier from popular New Zealand rock band, The Skinny Hobos. I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. We went straight in, we got heavy, we got deep. Uh, actually, we talked a lot about bands and gear, which was cool. But then it got a bit more um, thoughtful or something. But we got into it. We had a blast and, uh, and I think it's going to be a fun conversation for you all to hear. Um, when I, I should acknowledge this, when I released the last episode, we were right in between. The the voting had opened in the States, but that, the results hadn't come back yet. Uh, so we were unsure of which way it was going to go, and I was talking about how I had a headache and all that kind of stuff. A few days later, of course, they announced that Biden had won, and immediately this weight lifted off my shoulders, and I've heard so many other people say the same thing, that this this heaviness that had been on us for four years um, was just starting to lift and it's almost like you'd forgotten that it was there you know and then it lifted and you go oh yeah that's what it's like to not be constantly terrified and now there's there is in, at least in my opinion you know it's going to take some time to get things right but there is a sense of hope you know there is a sense of hope and further to that if you haven't watched the new documentary by David Attenborough on Netflix I encourage you to check it out um, it's his I think he calls it his personal witness statement. And he spends the first half of the documentary talking about what's going to happen in the world if we don't make some changes. Um, and I personally, as, as I'm all, all about that subject and I totally agree that it's urgent and I can't believe that we're spending more time worrying about stupid sensationalistic bullshit than we are actually trying to save the planet we live on. Um, but at the same time, you do get a bit sick of the doom and gloom, you know, like another documentary telling us all the reasons why we should be terrified, um, where most of us feel helpless. But he spends the second half of this documentary actually explaining how we can turn things around. And the way he explains it, it's simple, it's logical, it would be effective. And all it really needs is, you know, corporations, governments, and individuals to work together which right now in the world seems like it'll never happen but with this new change in the US I'm starting to think maybe we have a chance and we may as well think like that right we may as well go forward with that attitude now that we have uh, upcoming at least a leader uh, of America who is actually interested in what scientists say <laughs> maybe we have a chance so I personally I'm feeling hopeful I enjoyed the chat with Alex Things are good. I'm recording this a few days in advance because I'm heading out of town to play a show. So if the world blows up on Wednesday or Thursday or something, I don't know about that. It hasn't happened yet. Um, assuming everything goes well, this comes out on Friday. Enjoy your weekend. Take care of yourselves. Here's my conversation with Alex Ferrier. Now let's do this. Uh, 
kind of totally by um by accident like i i played a gnl strat forever right um and i still have that guitar but i i wanted to get something different at some point and like les paul's never felt great in my hands yeah and uh i just kind of had the idea of maybe maybe a hollow body would be cool and i tried like uh like i you know i was this was probably 10 years ago and i had no money so yeah i just started working at the rock shop and um and they had like this epiphone like dot and back then they were like 400 bucks and right. i was like oh maybe i could go down this road and, and i played it and then i changed teams and started working at music works and <laughs> i tried out one of the ibanez um semi hollows and i was like oh this is great and and i kind of went up a few models and, and then eventually like when i picked up the the guitar that's been my main guitar for the last 10 years like it was just that moment where you're just like yeah this is my thing yeah, you know right like yeah connect this is what i've been waiting for right. like yeah. it's the sound that i've heard in my head that i've never got out of any other guitars and yeah that's kind of went yeah all in from there i had that with mate and acoustics yeah when i first heard i mean it was with tommy yeah and um I mean, he makes anything sound good, yeah, but like, exactly. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like recording um, in the past, I had always re been really frustrated with the sounds I was getting because mm -hmm. they because a lot of acoustics sound too glassy, yeah. or you know, there was that typical glassy '80s acoustic sound, which yeah, I never I hate, you know, yeah, that's um, awful. Yeah, and I, I since sort of learned more about it, and you know, the Gibsons are great. I mean, like mm -hmm. that Neil Young sound always rocks my yeah. world. There's a but, price point there yeah, too. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah, yeah I'm gonna pay twenty grand for an acoustic, a better <laughs> yeah. sound good you yeah. know but like having worked in in the stores are you because you've i guess witnessed firsthand the gear snobbery mm -hmm. and the gear competitiveness oh and, definitely and all those lines that people put down i mean i always and this is going to sound horribly offensive but i always think that that's the kind of argument that people have if they've got nothing else to do yeah um and also the less experienced people tend to argue it <laughs> right right more. exactly yeah. um and it's and there's a lot of the on paper arguments yeah. like at the end of the day what you like is what you like and that's all that's important that's and i right. feel like everybody should know that and maybe maybe they do maybe they don't right but. exactly but i mean and and you're right i totally agree with you because you get exactly the right rig in place but then you go into a different room and it sounds different mm -hmm. you know or even your rig sounds different in someone else's hands too yes, and that's that's, that's right. huge like i'll sound like me with whatever i play because i'm me exactly you know? yeah and, yeah. and, and that's completely true. And, and uh, you know, everyone always makes that argument, you know, Jimi Hendrix would sound like Jimi Hendrix even mm -hmm. on a piece of shit guitar, right? Yeah. Because it, it is in the fingers. I mean, I, I think one of the most important pedals on my board is my EQ pedal. Yeah, yeah. Because I can just sort of touch the room up a little bit you know just kind of get it where you need it to be yeah, yeah for sure yeah Absolutely. Like, were you impacted by that especially working yeah. in that world um yeah it's really easy to kind of fall into the trap of like needing exactly the right thing that everybody thinks is right. the exact right thing but yeah. I, I do think that i've always been more interested in what works for me yeah. than what other people think works um and that's often been price driven because I can't really afford all the amazing things that people have or yeah. people think that you should have. Right. So yeah. it's always been more about playing everything and then seeing what just does the thing that, you know. Totally. Well, like before I got into guitar, we were all into skating. Yeah. And, um, and we had the term skate bunny. You mm -hmm. know, the, the guy who had the good board but couldn't skate. Yeah.
yeah i yeah. i had a shit board and, and still couldn't skate but <laughs> <laughs> yeah but i mean then we um i shouldn't probably say the name but there was a guy at our school who he must have come from a wealthy family because mm-hmm. he had really expensive guitars and stuff but he couldn't play to save himself yeah and he was the one he was like the one guy who was never in a band and we used his surname as like the music equivalent the term, of, the, yeah. of the skate bunny. You know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. But yeah, I've always been a bit suspicious when someone turns up with really expensive shit that they can't play. I'm like, yeah. well, it's like, like a rite of passage, isn't it? To start on something and have to yeah, make it work. I, I think so. But at, at the end of the day, I mean, if you have the things that make you happy, yeah. then, then that's it. As long as it makes you happy, like I'm not going to argue it. But there is some validity in that, right. you know? And yeah. I remember we played a show with this band one time and the guy had like just the most incredible gear, including like an original 1960s fuzz face, yeah. like, like the Holy grail of fuzz. And, right. and, and that just kind of, I mean, I can't remember all of the pedals that he had, but he just had just pedals for Africa and he yeah. had like, like a, a beautiful, just old Deville from, you know, right. Ever, for, yeah. And, and, and honestly his tone was immaculate. Yeah. Um, but their songs were terrible. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. And <laughs> I feel yeah, that way about a lot of bands. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and honestly, I mean, many of them could play, right. uh, like, I don't want to like crap on the band. Of course. Um, but like, you know, they just weren't that good. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like who were the guys that, that had, like, what tone were you looking up to? Like who were your guitar oh, guys? You know, that's, that's a really complicated one for me because yeah. I've, like while I am a guitar player and it's been kind of my primary focus, I yeah. feel like I rarely have approached the guitar, not since I was a kid. Like it's right. never been like the thing that I want to do. Right. It, it was when, when I was young, it was everything. And I think I was influenced by the same people. Everybody were sure. like, I, you know, yeah. Jimi Hendrix and like in guns and roses, like Metallica and yeah. like all the stuff that like kids get into right when they're starting. But, um, pretty quick i just really fell in love with songwriting and i just wanted to be in a band and so like the guitar was my way of getting there right because like and i actually played drums first and i switched because i knew a drummer but i didn't know another guitar player (laughs) you know Um, well i'm the same i started off like being interested in songwriting and guitar was a vehicle for me i tried piano and it didn't work for me yeah Um, and the guitar was to sort of i I could so immediately get to the place i wanted to get to Mm -hmm. but i i've always argued that if you want to be a good guitar player you should play the drums first yeah well the rhythm is huge and yeah. actually I have a few friends who are drummers who wanted to pick up the guitar and yeah. they picked it up really quick yes. because the hardest thing is your right hand like That's absolutely anybody yeah. can speed up your left hand you know yep. but yep exactly uh, right. assuming you play guitar the correct direction um, <laughs> yeah. you know. the, co- the correct direction <laughs> I'm not you know yeah. I'm not the incorrect direction yeah. like Jimi Hendrix yeah <laughs> which is clearly wrong because like how was he any good you know <laughs> exactly well I do notice there is a flaw in his technique this is a, this is an opinion mm-hmm. um but i think he has a flaw in his technique because back then they didn't make left-handed guitars mm-hmm. and so like look at the poster here his his um uh his left hand you know his um mm-hmm. hand at the bridge yeah uh, rests a- on the guitar yeah he's actually yeah. going over the knobs yeah so he's got his wrist on a funny angle and I've always noticed that about him. His wrist isn't yeah. where a wrist should be on the guitar, you know? But he also didn't play a lot of rhythm, all things right. considered. And I feel like that kind of technique is okay if you're just shredding. Like, it, yeah, uh, being a little bit more precise with your right hand is definitely more important in, in lots of styles of music. But, right. like, blues shreddery, maybe not so much. I like, don't know. I think he was a rhythm player. He, like, well, you know, he, he had, had to be, because and... they were a three-piece, right? Yeah, so, like... Yeah. 
but because um, I don't think of him as a shredder, funnily enough, I know he oh, went yeah. for it sometimes. Yeah, but yeah. if you think about like the iconic Jimi Hendrix lines, mm-hmm. they're like big riffs, you know. Yeah, that's actually that is a fair argument. Yeah, um, I, I think I, I mean. I don't mean it the same way that I would mean it with Stevie Ray Vaughan, right. where oh, yeah, like yeah. with that style of blues, where it's it's basically just licks and yeah. the chords are played by other people. Yeah, right. Yeah, but I, I think it's like like I don't know. It's 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 more like he's not doing chords as much. Like yeah. it's not like strumming and that kind of rhythm. It's it's riff rhythm, and I right. think I think of those things differently, or at least in my yeah. head anyway. I know but, what you mean, and I I also don't think he's famous for his groove. Mm-hmm. You know, Hen- Hendrix and groove aren't yeah. usually in the same sentence. But like you know, they're also such an interesting band because oh, yeah. the bass player was a guitar player, yeah. and like and the drummer was insane. Right, and like, yeah, absolutely. And and like I feel like everybody talks about Jimmy, but nobody talks about his band and Absolutely. they're just like so cool yeah like, yeah for a whole other reason i think know? that's true for so many things yeah. you know there's the person in front who who it's almost like a job title to be mm. the person in front yeah um, but they no one can be no one no one's an island you know mm-hmm. like everyone has a crew behind them either a, you know a, talk like there's the band but then there's also the crew yeah you know what i mean like absolutely and the more i've done this the more i realize that and the more like we've been really fortunate as a band to travel with crew like for the last few years and like i honestly have no desire to do it without them anymore and it's not that i can't and it's not that uh, I'm so lazy that I don't want to do extra work. It's just more that they're a part of the family and they make me better. Like, well, it's a support mechanism as well, mm-hmm. isn't it? And it's a peace of mind. And I think it improves the quality of what you're delivering because yeah. it adds consistency. But you asked before about like influences and yes. tone and stuff. <laughs> yeah. um, so one of the biggest ones for me was Led Zeppelin. Right. And they changed a lot for me because not only was Jimmy Page amazing mm-hmm. and like, and all of them and John Bonham and everything. Yeah. But it was the first time that I really understood when a band is the sum of its parts. Right. And that is so important for me. Like everybody needs to contribute a hundred percent and that band couldn't exist without any one person. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Especially let's talk about Bonham. Yeah. One of the grooviest drummers in rock and roll. Absolutely. You know, held that whole band together in my opinion. Yep. Yeah, and um, you know they did they did a few things without him later, just periodically. But it was never Led Zeppelin. It was right. still cool. Yeah, you know, but it wasn't Led Zeppelin. I didn't know. know they did anything without him. They did not like as a band per se. They did a right. few reunions over the years. Oh, I see. Most yeah. recently, Celebration Day. I think right. was that DVD that came out a few years ago. Yeah, yeah. Which I actually went and saw in theaters, and it was kind of weird because like it was like you're at a concert, but. Because you're in a theater, but you're sitting down and you don't have beer. And it was kind of... (laughs) (laughs) But it was still really cool. And that was Bonham's kid playing the drums. Yeah, yeah, Jason. Yeah, Yeah, Bonham Jr. Which, um, I mean... He's 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 great, but he's not his dad, and that's yeah. that's that's absolutely fine. But uh, I love there was just so much flack for the fact that he uses a double kick pedal. <laughs> <laughs> that must be a difficult gig, oh, like to be. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. not just that, but anyone who's ever sitting in for anyone who's mm-hmm. like, you know, I mean, whoever plays the drums these days in the Who, for example, yeah. you know, constantly being compared to Keith Moon. Yeah, that I mean, that would. It would almost be off-putting, wouldn't it? Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? You're, like, you constantly have to answer a question that you were never involved in. Yeah, and you know? it's like, um, so I'm. Uh, I mean, I'm going to offend people by saying <laughs> this, but I'm not the biggest Metallica fan. I right. definitely was as a kid. Uh, 
they're not, they're not really my cup of tea. But and and uh, Jason Newstead, their kind of biggest term bass player, yeah. gets a lot of flack, mm. and I'm gonna defend him. So I think people will hate me for that too. <laughs> but like, could you imagine in his position joining a band that was like the coolest band at the time, right. replacing a bass player who was like so well liked, but also just such an out there bass player. Like, yeah. and and then he's coming in here playing root notes with a pick, and like right. yeah. everybody just hates him immediately. Like he had the toughest job in rock yeah. and roll. And the original guy was killed, wasn't he? Yeah, in, in a bus in a bus crash yeah. halfway through. So there's um, also that side of it as well. Like, yeah. that everyone's grieving and, yeah. and like who the fuck is this guy? Exactly. And yeah. and like and it's almost like you know, the band definitely needed to continue. Right. Um, as far as the musicians go, like, should they have created another band? I don't know. But they def- they were on a roll. They yeah. were playing. They, they liked playing with each other. They needed someone to finish out a tour. They were on such an incredible momentum. They decided to continue. They felt that they could. Right. And people loved them and hated them for yeah. it. Like, yeah. it's like, how dare you continue <laughs> to do the only thing that you've ever done in your life exactly. that you like doing? Yeah. You know? And like, and whether a band should keep going when a member's gone is such an interesting question because then it starts yeah. to come down to like, which members from which bands are the irreplaceable ones? Mm-hmm. You know, could, I mean, like um, but it, it um, depends on the band so much. Well, right? yeah, but I mean, like Queen is one that irritates mm-hmm. me because to me that's not Queen. You know no, what, what they're doing not. now. But at the same time, I think well, the audiences are happy. Mm-hmm. You know, the band still want to play. Yeah, I mean, no one's really getting hurt by this. Who who really cares? Yeah, and I think Adam Lambert saves himself a little bit by every single show getting up and saying the same spiel. Look. I'm not Freddie Mercury, but <laughs> yeah. thanks for letting me do this anyway. Yeah, you know? exactly. He's kind of he has to do that, right? You know. Yeah, but uh, he, he seems genuine. I I went to the show when they were here. It was amazing. Like right. so, I've heard it's a killer show. Yeah, and I think it's one of the most successful shows in the world, isn't yeah. it? Something I, like I think, um, yeah. So. Yeah. I guess by not trying to be queen, it makes it okay. Right. But then who's to say whether it's okay or not? Like, you know, well, that's it. I mean, it's so arbitrary. Well, it's funny because I was listening to an interview with Patti Smith the other day, and she was talking about how there were sort of no rules mm-hmm. back in the day, in the sixties in New York. Yeah. You know, and she said there was not really a difference between celebrity and, um, and just everybody else, you know, if a big name walked in the room, it didn't really matter because everyone no. was sort of there together and it was just more of a community vibe. And now I've completely forgotten my point. Yeah. <laughs> well, um... oh, But she was talking about the no rule thing. Mm-hmm. And, and it got me thinking about how since then we've we've sort of cornered ourselves with all these like this is the definition of a rock band and yeah. this is this is the gear you're supposed to use and this is how you should look and you know yeah and it's like where does all that come from so yeah. from this from this area of like this this music thing is supposed to be so independent and rock and roll and you know fuck being told what to do and now we start telling ourselves what to do yeah you know and it's it's funny because it's fans that put that pressure down right right like yeah. it's the it's 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 rarely the musicians yeah. although they might feel that like because of growing up as a fan they might feel like there's all these roles yeah yeah but um but you're right it's 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 a great point i i witnessed a little bit of this firsthand in our career because i would say that um a lot of that definitely rolls in the rock world more than other kinds of music sure and it, it is there in jazz and stuff as it, well it's yeah. there everywhere yeah. Yeah. but yeah. um but i feel like it's there like really prevalently yes. in in the rock world I agree. 
and I think it's it's got a lot to do with just how long the genre has been around and right. how 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 long it was the main thing yeah. too. Yeah. Um. So you know, it attracted a lot of people that may not necessarily have been rock people or whatever. They were music people or they just wanted to be a part of something that was cool or whatever. Right. Yeah. It just sweeps up like a whole bunch of other people. So it, it was just so big for a while. Yeah. But um, so as we're kind of coming up, I weirdly, I play in a rock band, but rock isn't like my thing, sure. right? <laughs> uh, which is weird. Um, but I, I'm not, I'm not hating on it either. It's, yeah. it's, it's a lot of fun. And, and my band is so much fun to play in and I get to do it with my best friend. So it's, it's rad. Totally. Um, yeah. But because this wasn't a world that I was in for a bit, yeah. um, I kind of came at it through the same perspective that I had playing kind of weird, you know, artsy music or hip hop I did for a while or, or electronic music I did for a while. Right. Yeah. So I came and came back to New Zealand, um, decided to start a rock band and I had all of these ideas about not following these rules. Yeah. And we were fortunate enough to have a song that got picked up, um, high rotation on, on the rocks radio station. And I was like, and we weren't even trying to be rock necessarily. We were trying right. to kind of ride other lines, but it was like, okay, these guys like us, let's do this now. Yeah. You yeah. know? And, uh, and we realized real quick that like, not doing a lot of these rules really damaged our reputation. Like, right. And by playing into them more, people liked us more and supported us more. And yeah. it was like, it was a really awkward line to walk between like, how much do I want people to support what I'm doing? Yeah. How much do I want to maintain a certain level of integrity? Absolutely. It's a <laughs> side know? of the business that I think is has always been really awkward and weird mm -hmm. and surprising to people when they get there. Yeah. Because you know, you you think music is art and you'll be rewarded for innovation. And we've all grown up like listening to Frank Zappa and mm -hmm. David Bowie and people like that. And we're like, oh, I'm gonna come out with this new thing and everyone's gonna love yeah. me for it. And then it's like, yeah, no, but that doesn't fit the format of the radio no. station, or that doesn't and fit the format of the festival. That's just it. It's you it's know. that flirtation with commercial success right. that kind yeah. of makes a lot of it harder to deal with but know? then you do look through so many of the successful bands in history and they have through either their decision or their management or whatever they've played that system mm -hmm. you know they've put this, the songs out that'll get them the break yeah so that they can then go and do the weirder stuff you yeah know? it's um john mayer said it's three for him and the rest for the earth sorry three for the record company and the rest of the albums for him right <laughs> yeah, so right um I, and i've heard that same sentiment ar argued by a number of different artists yeah so it, yeah like, yeah, that definitely makes a bit of sense, people, too. People love to rag on John Mayer. I think he's a fucking genius. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, the body is a wonderland thing. It's <laughs> super cheesy and awful. Yeah. But he, it got him there, and mm -hmm. then he came out with a blues record. Yeah, I, I actually believe, like, I believe firmly in that level of, um, of, of, of artistic, yeah. you know, quote-unquote, like, integrity, where you can let go of your integrity, perhaps, and make some songs that'll make you successful. And then when you've got a big enough name, big enough following, right. may maybe some money behind you and some support, then you can do whatever the heck you want. Well, I think words like integrity and, and also coming back to the rules, the, the, to me, this is idealism. Mm -hmm. And idealism doesn't have any place in art. No. You know, because there's, you know, it's it's been 
you know, through the ages, artists have made their things, their art, but yeah. then they've had, also had to figure out how to get it out. And so much of the great yeah. art and history was actually commissioned by the church or by royalty. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where it all came from. You well, know? My favorite argument on that point yeah. is the Nirvana one, because everybody goes about how Nirvana was so counterculture. Yeah. But like Kurt Cobain just wanted to write good, happy, poppy songs that people liked. Like he loved the Beatles. That's right. And like, and you know, and the way that it came out was the way that it came came out like he wasn't the greatest guitar player in the world perhaps and this was what he could do but if you like if you really listen to nirvana there's a lot of really beautiful stuff in there it's just heavily distorted and it's super pop yeah and i think that's a compliment yeah i mean (laughs) like a lot of our favorite bands were trying to succeed i mean as much as you don't want to hear that (laughs) right yeah but i think kurt cobain was also conflicted i mean obviously he was conflicted Mm -hmm. he was conflicted as a dude that's no there's no question there but you know, he he quite famously loved um, Michael Stipe and mm-hmm. REM, and yeah. and, he, and he loved that they stood for something. Absolutely, and he you loved know? the Pixies too, right. and yeah. he loved that they were just kind of counterculture but pop. And yeah, that's right. There was like, yeah, I mean, yeah. There's a lot of that. There's a lot more to that than just the grunge Seattle thing right. that everybody yeah. kind of remembers now, you know? Yeah, that's now become kind of a cardboard cutout of, mm-hmm. of itself, you know what yeah. I mean? Which is, I think, what happens to genres. And I think you're right when you're saying earlier about um, a genre like rock being around for t- for a period of time, mm-hmm. and then it sort of folds in on itself. Um, that's something I've thought about a lot with jazz as well, in the sense that, um, and this is, this is definitely true for rock, that the genre, wherever they originated, they progressed and progressed and progressed, mm-hmm. and it seemed like they went through f- several decades of constantly evolving and then both genres at different times got to a point where people started to look at the genre more retrospectively yeah and they started to to try and protect it like a museum piece Mm -hmm. and at that point they're like they started to go this is the rule like you can't have a saxophone in a rock band or well, you can't I have, mean, or whatever, you know what I yeah. mean? And you're like, well, where did that rule fucking come yeah, from? Yeah, tell that to Supertramp. Exactly. <laughs> and then and then also, like, all the rules in jazz, I mean, Herbie Hancock and Miles Davis and stuff, they did yeah. nothing but break rules. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and and what a great job they did, actually. Absolutely. I, I, I can't believe I slept on this, but I just started listening to the 70s era of Miles Davis. Oh. Like, the... I'm, Killer. horribly butcher the name of this because <laughs> I've never said it out loud but what is it it's Ag- Agira or Ag- Agra or something I don't know I know the album yeah. you mean though yeah um, and it's like it's it's weird psychedelic almost rock yeah. jazz and it's so cool and there's this live Japan Japanese concert um, right. and I've got that and uh, and it was just loud it was mesmerizing yeah. improv weird jazz rock music I'm, I'm with you yeah nobody knows about it now right like, right but people who don't know jazz can talk about kind of blue you know yeah, and, and I'm, I love um, that era of jazz too and I, I'm certainly not a jazz sort of scholar mm-hmm. so I'm probably I've probably got it wrong but my idea <laughs> my idea of, of of the story was that you know trad jazz 50s and early 60s they pushed the boundaries of music as far as they could and they mm-hmm. got to like bitches brew and all that yeah. kind of stuff in the late 60s um and it did get to the point where it arguably kind of stopped being music, sort of. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a harsh way to put it. But well, it, it, it was artistic expression. Yeah. Was it music? Who knows? Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I actually kind of take that back as I say it. I mean, of course, it was music, mm-hmm. but it was not necessarily palatable by the by the wider audience. They were mm-hmm. kind of like, "What the fuck is this?" Yeah. Um, and then the response immediately after that was to straighten it all out mm-hmm. and to go to more of a funk thing. You know, yeah. Herbie Hancock did the Headhunters and and uh, Miles Davis started to explore into these genres that mm-hmm. actually pissed off a lot of the jazz community yeah and and it's just kind of like and 
the pissed off the jazz community or pissed off the rock community or pissed off the whatever community is something that always just frustrates me because at the end of the day, like an artist, like, and this is what we've been talking about the whole time. Right. But artists really should have the freedom to do whatever the hell they want. Like they want to express themselves artistically. That's what they do. If you don't like it, don't listen to it, but don't rag on it. Right. Exactly. And it's yeah. like if you're not pissing someone off, you're probably not doing it right. Yeah, exactly. You know, because no, like no way is everybody gonna like you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because I mean, there there are on the on the flip side, there are bands that I loved 25 years ago mm. that I can't listen to now because yeah. they because they never evolved. Yep. Um, you know, Tool. <laughs> I don't want to piss everybody off. They're that, that's amazing. Probably a sens- that's probably a sensitive one, eh? Yeah, oh, dude. All of them are sensitive, and you know what? I have strong opinions about a lot of stuff. Sure, it's, you yeah. Know, it is what it is. Uh, I can say that comfortably in the comfort of talking to another individual. But like, if I was to say that, like, you know, with a lot of people around, I might get beat up. You might get lynched. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'm not saying I don't like Tool. Tool is awesome, but they've made the same record for the last bunch of records, okay. and it's amazing yeah always the musicianship is stunning right yeah the new the new album is amazing but it's still tool right but they um, i mean they couldn't do anything else right because if yeah. they did then everyone would be like oh what the hell was that right. like your yeah. tool be tool well i've often thought about it because I, I can't really weigh in on the tool thing because i i've never paid too close attention mm-hmm. i know they're a good band but i've yeah. never sort of listened deep or anything but um uh, I have often thought about that with certain genres that they kind of paint themselves into a corner and mm-hmm. then, they're, then they're kind of stuck. Yeah. You know, I mean, a band like Metallica, they have evolved in a way. You yeah. know, they, they started off with the speed thing and then they sort of, you know, they, they've gone through a few different phases. But it's not like they have the same kind of flexibility that, let's say, Stevie Wonder has. No. You know, or Peter Gabriel yeah, or something. They you know still I mean? have to be metal ish. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. They can't do the jazz album. Mm-hmm. <laughs> man, I love Stevie Wonder. Man. Oh, me too. What a dude. Absolutely. One yeah. of my heroes. Yeah. 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 yeah insane i saw him play um in montreal like a few years ago well like 10 years ago or so now right yeah i lose track of time <laughs> like it's just still just killing it and it was this year it was pouring down with rain it was not a nice day right. and there were so many people there and it was like one of the coolest concerts i've ever been to and i've never been so uncomfortable in my life but i wasn't <laughs> going anywhere you know <laughs> It was yeah, it was great. I I I grew up loving Stevie Wonder. Mm. I had a really embarrassing moment um, in the in the presence of Stevie Wonder oh, yeah. because I was at Nam a few years ago, and um and he's a common character there. And he turned around and smiled in my direction, and <laughs> instinctively I smiled and waved. Yeah. And then and then mid wave I'm like, he can't see yeah. me. <laughs> Awkward. I wanted to climb into myself. That's hilarious. So you guys um just finished a tour, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and it's a bit of a weird one. Well, I saw you um, had to cancel some dates. Yeah, so um, so we booked, so uh, just came out of level four lockdown. Yeah. And we hadn't seen each other in a bit because obviously we're doing the self-isolation thing. Yeah. And we had a lot of plans for this year and none of them were shows. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, oh, right. What we were, were supposed oh. to be doing an album. And that, those talks started last june so not june this year but the one before yeah. uh, 2019 yeah um when we finished up our last tour right and then unfortunately sam uh who's the drummer at texas hold'em he um uh he had a uh, a condition with his heart oh. and so he was injured for a while and couldn't play so that kind of push pause on things for a little bit. And then was that like what an operation or something or yeah. Um, it, it was, 
um, I don't know the medical specifics of sure. all of it, but uh, the ticker was fine. It was more all the other stuff around it okay. that had some issues and like sw- swole up and and yeah. like ult- ultimately he's absolutely fine now. But right. there was just a rehab process gotcha. um, that he needed to go through, and then there was an amount of time that he couldn't really exert himself. Yeah. And drumming is definitely, you know, <laughs> yeah. something that exerts. Of course. So, uh, yeah. yeah. But uh, so we put yeah put put it on hold for a little bit, and then we got back together because we were going to do some shows over summer. And uh, but he yeah he couldn't actually do those. I ended up having to play them with a different drummer, um, right. which. I, I wouldn't do going back to the chat about irreplaceable bandmates. When mm. you play with a band with two people and a 50% of the band is gone, <laughs> yeah, it's not yeah. the same band. Yeah, but um, yeah. it was, we're doing, it was a, a, a new festival put on by a, a friend of ours and we were headlining and it was kind of one of those things where I know that he was counting on our name to sell tickets and right. we couldn't drop out. Yeah. So anyway, Sam gets back together. It's like, or, you know, gets himself back together. I should say it's, it's January and we're like, okay, so we're going to do our record now. And, but just to jump back for a second, how did, how did that go working with a different drummer? Like, was it just, it it was actually really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So it was Nick Douch who plays in the band Echo Park. I know Nick. You know, Nick? Yeah. 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 Um, he's been a friend of mine since we were 16 years old. Like we we were playing shows together in high school. So I've known him forever, but we've never played together. So it was a lot of fun for that reason. Oh, I mean, also, you couldn't have someone better as well to no, sit in. Right? He's, he's amazing. Yeah, yeah, lovely dude. And um, it was also uh, it was fun to you know look at your songs through someone else's eyes right. too. Yeah, especially because he was more familiar with our first album, um, and he didn't know any of our new songs um, just because he was around when we were writing the first one. So yeah. Um, yeah, and we, we you know we we played shows with his band back then and stuff. So we ended up doing that, and I realized that there are so many parts of that that I don't play anymore, right. or or so many parts that we changed. And so that was definitely a, a really fantastic experience. Yeah, um, just kind of yeah figuring out how my songs go yeah <laughs> you know um so yeah it was it was a lot of fun it is cool like having someone new on board because you i know what you mean it does actually you kind of hear the song in a different way mm-hmm. and you it, hear it through it, their ears exactly yeah, yeah it kind of gives a different personality there was like like a one song you know that we played together that made me actually change the way that we play it as, right. as a band now so right. that's cool that was kind of yeah because i was like, like we play it so slow now and then nick Nick, he's he's got a, like a punk rock background, so he loves pushing it. He's got so much energy, yeah. which honestly I think is a big part of like Echo Park's thing because like they've got great songs, but then like a drumming, dr- like a rhythm section that just really pushes it. And oh like, yeah, yeah, yep. The two of them, him and Brian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway, that was that was super cool. So, so Sam um, came back. Yeah, and then we started the writing process, but we had already some shows booked in february that we had to do so it was like we had to you know get ready for that too right so after that we got back into the room we started writing Mm -hmm. um we had homegrown coming up but we were mostly writing and then sure enough lockdown hits uh homegrown's canceled we had an auckland show that got canceled too and so it was like all right we'll figure this out later (laughs) and then um when when you know after a couple months when new zealand looked like it was actually going to be pretty chill we're like well 
you know, let, let, let's put this record on hold again and let's play some shows because, yeah. you know, it'd be great to get out there now. Um, there's there's not a lot of international touring bands coming here, so it'd yeah. be great to great for us to get out there because there's less competition, but also great for us to be able to do something fun in, in a time right. where everybody's been so, like, you know, scared and yeah, all that. But then, of course, we were announcing the week that we got told <laughs> that Auckland was going back to level three. And we're like, oh, God. Right. So now, like, we pulled all of the money that we would have spent on advertising. We didn't buy flights. We, you know, we just kind of, because we didn't know if we were going to be able to do it. Yeah. And then we had to cancel the first weekend because Auckland was still at a high alert level. And then, and that weekend was the weekend that was going to pay for the tour because there are oh. two like heavily paid dates. Right. Yeah. Um, and then we did get out there, and we did have some really good shows. We played in the South Island, mm-hmm. um, which is always cool, and it, it was good that we got to go down there because um, we don't play in the South Island as much as we play in the North. Sure. And uh, and we had an Auckland show, and it was fun. So did you like, notice, like, at the shows in general, like, were there less people showing up, or there was like. I would, it was kind of a different vibe. Like when we, we played some shows right after the first lockdown and yeah. I think everybody was just losing their minds that they're allowed to be out of their houses. <laughs> right. Yeah. And like, so like we played to a, like a capacity whammy bar and like you couldn't move inside and, and everybody like the, the whole mood was celebratory. Yeah. But this time I feel like it was a little bit more cautious. Like right. it was so so recent Mm. that like there were a lot of people there that were just having a great time but like it was also kind of there there was just the mood to it it was kind of i don't know it was just really strange it's hard to define what it was but the the mood of the atmosphere was just kind of a bit odd this time well i think the second lockdown was kind of a punch in the gut you know because we thought we'd beaten it yeah i mean not necessarily on on an intellectual level but yeah i think there was that kind of thing oh it's not that bad we've beaten it you know we we can move on our show in invercargill was the day that we were allowed to oh (laughs) right it was like up again wednesday it was like (laughs) all right auckland's level one thursday we played in invercargill so like yeah it was yeah it was it was real fresh right yeah um and uh there was also there was definitely a lot of choice, like um, Devil Skin, Blind Spot, and um, Jordan Luck Band, and us were all playing at the same time, pretty much across right. New Zealand. Yeah. So, um, which because everybody's stuff got pushed back to the same time. <laughs> yeah. Everyone so went out at the same time. You're definitely spoiled for choice, I think, a little bit too. So that idea that there's less competition because there's less internationals coming in is yeah. not necessarily true. No, there was more competition than yeah, ever. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Although the good side um, of that is the more competition is local. Yeah, and so. and um and and it there was just a lot of stuff for people to do. But yeah. like I was hearing because I'm friends with all of those people and. Yeah they echoed the same sentiment and just that the atmosphere was a bit strange. Like it was, it was great. Like Mm. we all think that it was great. There was a lot of people that were just stoked to be out, but it was just, it was a really weird time to be touring. Yeah. Yeah. And have you found, I mean, have you guys talked about like how you can try and be any kind of COVID compliant or safer or anything like that? Yeah. I mean, sort of, but when you play places like, you know, like, we don't play the thousand person venues. We play the 500 person venues, yeah. you know, more, more specifically. Yeah. And you're there and people are like 
in your face. Jam- you yeah, know? it's like, what can you do? And uh, we could find ways at separating ourselves from other people, but you kind of don't want to. Like, mm. our whole thing has always just been... Like, we just want to hang out with everybody everywhere we go. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'd rather just, like, if if the whole world was living inside this COVID thing for a while longer, I would definitely find ways at, at doing it mm. anyway. Like, whatever whatever it ends up being. I heard somewhere in Scandinavia they did a concert where every, it was like a drive-in movie theater where everybody was in their cars and the yeah. band played on stage. Right. That That's, that's actually awesome, you know? <laughs> um, but... Yeah, I, be weird for the band though, right? Like just yeah. looking out of like looking at a car park. Yeah, just like, everybody put your hands in the air and like the windshield wipers start moving. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I was looking into it. Like we were, I was trying to find a way to be like we got a thing in development, and I was like, okay, mm-hmm. let's try and make this as compliant as possible, and maybe we can use this as an opportunity to be innovative and come up with something. You know? Yeah. Um, what I what I tried to find was like legit information on a scientific and medical level on what we can do in the music mm-hmm. industry, and I couldn't find it. And I don't. No. Maybe it's there. I mean, I feel like this is where some of the bigger companies could step up and give us some clearer advice. Perhaps, you know? but I think that the advice is evolving as quickly as the disease seems to be. We don't understand. Yeah, it. we're yeah. still figuring out how to. You know. Right. And you know you can you can socially distance and you can sanitize and you can wear masks and yeah. you can do all the things that keep you away from other people but it's hard to you know guarantee even yeah. that result like did you see people wearing masks in the audience a bit no not yeah. at all but um we didn't play so by the time we did the Auckland gig cuz it was uh, it was it was 2 or 3 weeks after the Christchurch ones or the the South Island one hmm. Um, I think it had been enough time. Right. Uh, hard to say, but no, I didn't really see that at all. Yeah. Well, it does the feel... South Island didn't go back into lockdown. Like they only went to level two. Right. So, um, yeah, they didn't go full level three. Yeah, yeah. Well, most of the North Island didn't go into level yeah, two, yeah, right? Just, yeah. just Auckland. Yeah. I don't know. I was wondering if that was going to affect like our reception too. It was just mm. like, you know, stay out of here. You infected Auckland people. <laughs> <laughs> But I don't know. It was, it was it was all good. It was just yeah, strange. <laughs> yeah, and and I I guess yeah, we don't really know what's around the corner, eh? Because they they seem to be getting close to versions of vaccines and yeah. things, and and they seem to be getting better at being able to pick things up, like you know, on the spot tests and things. Mm-hmm. So I mean, there's every chance that in six months from now they could have some relatively quick solutions. Yeah, and uh, and you know, let, let's let's hope and right. let's hope that at the very least we in here in New Zealand get to you know keep things out of the country yeah. and get to keep you know existing the way that we exist for a little while. Absolutely, I mean, we're so fortunate. So. Um, yeah. Another really cool thing that we've had the privilege of doing this year on a kind of sour note is um, uh, famous Kiwi musician Aaron Tokena passed away yes. uh, a few months ago and he was a huge influence. Um, so we were part of a, a tribute gig for him in uh, Auckland where we played um, songs by Kara and I Fight and yep. another band um, played, well, another group of musicians played songs from Weta and another one from Hori Buzz. So yeah. there was like... It was a really cool night, and um, it was so successful and so positive. We're now doing four of them. Oh, wow. Um, So we did Tauranga uh, two weeks ago or a week ago, Um, and then we're doing Christchurch in a couple weeks, and we're doing Wellington a couple weeks after that. Fantastic, yeah. 
but that show um the the Toronga one was as far as like I, I don't actually know this so maybe i'm wrong but i think it was sold out because like it was at totara street and it yeah. was like it was it was as packed as i've ever seen it there right yeah. and that's like you know with all of the covid stuff it was cool to see that that was allowed <laughs> you know because <laughs> right, yeah. everybody was sweating on everybody you know yeah i couldn't tell you how many people i touched so <laughs> you know what i mean like and like here's a quote then we got homegrown coming up again in march and like i really want to do it i don't want it to get canceled again of you course. know that's the best night of ever like ask any kiwi musician who's ever played there it's yeah. the best party yeah you know, so. yeah absolutely so yeah. we're so we're you're obviously not a you know your accent isn't kiwi. yeah i'm we're, canadian canadian yeah, yeah. Like montreal yeah right yeah and how did you end up out here so i came here uh as a 14 year old yeah. um with my family because dad got a job over here right. and then what did he do uh he worked for fonterra oh yeah um and then I moved back to Montreal when I was like 18 right. um, for about four years. And then I came back and I've been back ever since. Yeah, so since, right. since I was like, yeah, 22 or so. Was it a, was it a happy life, you know, at, at, in the younger years growing up in Montreal? Yeah. Um, so Montreal, I didn't know super well because uh, even though like I'm from there and like the majority of my family lives there. Mm. I was living in Ontario before I moved to New Zealand. Right. So like the youngest version of me doesn't remember Montreal. Well, I do remember Montreal, but like formative years were spent like mostly in Auckland to be fair. Cause right. like, cause like from a fort from 14, I was here. So yeah, like I, I, I think that I would consider my, I don't sound like it, but I would consider myself a Kiwi more yeah. than anything just right. cause like, Cause I did grow up here. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, yeah, it's a tough one. I don't know where I'm from anymore. I've but, lived a lot of places. So yeah. what I'm, what I'm interested in is like, cause your, your performances are so emotive, which, which I love. I and mean, I, I, um, I kind of grew up on music that was, that said something mm. and you felt something, you know? And I remember being really frustrated at the end of the nineties when that like surf rock thing happened and those, you know, and I know that I'm probably the only one in New Zealand who didn't like those bands, but, <laughs> um, but that kind of, I think of it as like jock music, yeah. like privileged white kids playing at pool parties, <laughs> you know, but fucking pointless, yeah. you know, music that had no emotion in it. Anyway, yeah. I'm, I'm on a tangent, but, yeah, yeah. um, I do love, I do love performers that give it everything and, Same. and, um, and, but I also of course wonder where it comes from and, and there's so much emotion and anger in your, your guys' music. I don't know mm -hmm. if you see it that way, but that's what I feel, um, I mean, where does the anger come from? Um, I, I don't know. Maybe it's... <laughs> because I, honestly, maybe it's just the way... Because I'm not an angry person. Right. I, I, I'm not a malicious person. And I really don't... Like, it would be pretty difficult to anger me. I think, like... Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm very, you know... But, and, but maybe it's because it all comes out in the music. Right, you know? yeah. Um, yeah, that could be a, that could be a thing. Yeah, I mean, there's so many reasons to be angry yeah. in life, obviously. But you know. um, as far as music goes, and I mean, and it probably goes back to Led Zeppelin, but there, yeah. there's a few, few other ones too, where just the power and the intensity of of the live performance right. has been something that just blew my mind at at a, at a young age. Um, I remember, like, I had a friend when I was like 12 or something that that turned me on to this kind of music mm. and. Um, and I, there was, 
there's lots of like peripheral genres that I was into at the time that did like, you know, Ben's that were doing that kind of post hardcore thing, like at the drive-in who eventually most of them became Mars Volta and right. like, um, and, and bands like, like Mike Patton's various bands. So yeah. not necessarily faith no more, but like Mr. Bungle and like the right. other kind of stuff that he was doing. Yep. Um, and then like Frank Zappa too, mm-hmm. like it was all, I just really got into watching like concert DVDs and stuff of these bands. And yeah. I was just like, man, this is what I want to do. You know? So if I misinterpreted it, then it's not anger. It's actually more like energy, energy and, and passion. And, and I mean, yeah. any, but emotion in general, more yeah. than, more than anger. Um, just, just pure unbridled emotion <laughs> you know yeah which i love yeah and 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 i mean i, I mean obviously that's an opinion based thing that's a mm. that's a taste thing you know yeah i'm sure other people love sublime but um yep. but i and and i kind of get it now i have to say it's just that like i was just growing up music really meant so much to me mm-hmm. and i sort of saw the world through the eyes of music yeah and um so it reflected the life I was living and the life I saw other people's uh, other people living, and in this sort of you know when Chumbawamba came out and like <laughs> yeah. all that stuff, I'm like, the fuck is this? This is what I signed yeah. up for, you know. Um, but now I I've loosened up. Uh, I've if it makes up, some you know? people happy, with yeah, it, I know? get it. Some yeah. people just want to have a party. That's fine. No, but um, <laughs> so I have a weird kind of thought about why the music of skinny hobo sounds like what it does and yeah. and honestly it's got very little to do with what either of us intended it to do right you're right <laughs> yeah. um we started playing we didn't plan on being a two-piece either that was a question i was gonna yeah. i was gonna ask like well, all right you- I'll, I'll give you i'll give you the the basic kind right. of setup yeah. so sam and i knew each other in high school yeah didn't much care for each other um <laughs> even though my band and his band like in high school we used to play shows together and stuff like i was friends with his other bandmates and he kind of thought I, I was a dick and i probably was right you know so um but we didn't we didn't see each other for years and just out of the blue we both ended up working at the rock shop oh. and we opened a store together in manico so like right. it was it was kind of like i showed up and i was like sam and he's like Alex, he was like, "Hey, <laughs> you know, I haven't seen you in however many years." So, yeah, yeah. Um, we ended up having a jam at work one day because, like, I was playing in this band that was like, I kind of, uh, it was instrumental. It was kind of Mars Volta esque. It was just weird, and I don't know what to call it, but it was progressive. It was heavyish. It was strange, and it was a lot of fun. But yeah. like, it was the kind of thing where three people in the audience with their arms crossed are thinking, "Damn, this is cool," and everybody else is like, "What the hell is this shit?" <laughs> um, so I, I kind of had it in my mind that like I wanted to do something. Uh, I was like. I want to try to do a band that could make me successful, but still be fun to play in. Right. Okay. And I had just seen Queens of the Stone Age live and I was like, man, these guys are awesome. And Mm. I I went home and just wrote like a whole bunch of stuff that sounded exactly like them. Yep. And uh, Sam and I had a jam in the store one night after we closed and I just played a couple riffs that I'd had and like we just locked in immediately like he played the drums that I would play if I was drumming. So we just had that connection just immediately. Yeah. But then when we started to do shows, it was immediately apparent that like 
a one amp and a drum kit was not going to cut it when it came to like keeping up with the sound of other bands. Well, was it, was there not a conversation before the first show? Like, should we get a bass player? Oh yeah. Um, it was always like intended. Right. Um, we never, yeah, we, we thought me, you know, we thought it was going to be a bigger band, but yeah. we just kind of like the first show that we played, we, um, we had, we had the name before the band started. Mm. So we had a name, but we didn't know what we were. And Sam's dad was playing in a band and he was like, well, would you want to just come come have a jam? So like, we didn't even have a set list of songs. I think we had like maybe three or four. Right. I hadn't written vocals to most of them. So yeah. I was just kind of yelling, and like, <laughs> you know, and, and we played some covers that we didn't know how to play, but it, it just kind of like, it was a lot of fun. And then it was like, well, may- maybe we will be this. Yeah. And it was actually Sam who was like, well, look, we need to put some low end into the band then. Right. Um, and so I bought like a pog and then that was still not quite enough. Mm. Uh, a pog is an octave pedal yep, for the, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And then that wasn't quite cutting it. So then we tried having a bass amp too and, right. and it took a while, but so obviously like I'm not a rich person and gear is expensive. So you just kind of get your hands on what you can get your hands on. And I, yeah. I was borrowing this bass amp from Nick Douch, coincidentally. Yeah. Um, Cause like the bass player for his old band left it at his house, you right. know? Yeah. And, uh, and I had the pedals that I had. And eventually when we kind of got to this split signal thing, it sounded like what it sounded like. And the only way for me to get it to sound good in my opinion was to make it sound heavy like i i used fuzz mm. to make the pitch shifted guitar signal sound somewhat reasonable i see going right. into the front of this pretty crap solid state pv bass amp yeah, so right. like the whole sound of the band evolved around what gear i could afford right. or get my hands on and have you always played hollow body electrics at that point i was no but before that not at all like yeah because that's like the perfect kind of guitar right yeah for you guys because yeah, they sound fucking huge also 100 percent coincidental <laughs> right? like i had yeah. just just got one and then I was like, I want to play a band with this new guitar. Right. <laughs> yeah. like, you know, so, I mean, there was, there was nothing planned at right. all. And it was just, just, we just kept going because it was fun. Yeah. And See, one the, of the things I like about your, the band story, throwing back to something you said earlier, that you're not necessarily sort of all into the rock world. Mm-hmm. I've often made the argument that the Beatles didn't come up listening to the Beatles. No, you know, like yeah. Nirvana didn't come up listening to Nirvana. Yeah. You know, most of the sort of significant artists were actually listening to a much wider range of music. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you before were referencing hip hop and other stuff, mm-hmm. like that makes perfect sense to me. That's why you guys have a fresh sound. Because I think a lot of, a lot of artists make the mistake of like they're in jazz they just listen to jazz they just play jazz and they're sort of in this regurgitating kind of you know cesspool and i think rock players do that quite a bit as well they just listen to rock they just play rock i mean with jazz you you can break it down to standards but even though it's not called that you can do the same in rock music like there's there's some tropes that everybody falls back on that just makes it sound like rock music right exactly and i and i agree like when i listen to you guys um i was i'm thinking like I don't know exactly where to start uh, like re- referencing this because mm. there's so many different influences in there. Yeah. And like rock is such a difficult genre to sound original in. Definitely. These and days. We found that um, 
the, our, our whatever version of success that we've had has been fleeting because we haven't been able to repeat ourselves. <laughs> like when we had our when we had our our quote unquote hit with our song Merchant of Tira because right. that song that song did real well on radio and, yeah. and you know it's I think it's got something like half a million streams on Spotify and stuff like it's 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 had its run you know yeah but we never were able to repeat that thing because it was an accident and the fact that it <laughs> happened in the first place you know and but if you did repeat it then you'd be again stuck in yourselves yeah, you yeah. Know? i think we went through that for about a year while we were trying to figure out whether we were going to chase that right. like that song and that sound yeah or whether we were just going to keep doing our own thing and i'm definitely stoked that we just kept doing our own thing because yeah. like it made the band fun but also like how many bands get to continually release stuff that you know that stays in the consciousness you know what i mean yeah like even when you think about a lot of the iconic new zealand bands most of them had a, a handful of songs that you know or yeah. remember and it's you know? real real hard to get past an album from yeah. most of them especially like, these days yeah it's one of the reasons why i i i'm not their biggest fan but i staunchly defend you too yeah because they stayed in the game um but fucking ages. they also had a really progressive career that's, that's right. hard to have for most bands yeah and like the, the chat about tool how tool always makes a tool album u2's never made a u2 album that's right like, yeah you know the joshua tree is night and day different from like war or whatever yeah and I'm, i would name more of their albums but i don't know <laughs> what they're called right uh, sure yeah <laughs> but like when octong baby came out it was like a huge yeah. shift and i and it arguably set them up to be relevant in the night. 90s. they lost momentum in the last 10 years i yeah. think um but you i mean i can't think of another band that's that's stayed in the charts and stayed relevant in pop yeah. for for 30 years or 35 years you know no uh, i'm Even, kind of scratching my brain trying to think about something and i don't think that i can because the definition that you just put on it uh, the relevance in the state in the charts part is yeah. a big part of it like there's a lot of bands that have had really interesting careers putting out lots of different music and yeah. radiohead is definitely one of my favorites Amazing. of that um genre. but yeah but they definitely never stayed in the charts. No. Like, you know, after well, the after the bends, they're just like, oh, no, no, screw this. Yeah. We're just going to get weird. Exactly. And, and people <laughs> will either follow us or not. But and good on them. Yeah. But like the Stones, for example, must be the longest touring band of all oh, time. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's that's insane. Mm -hmm. The fact that they're still alive. So exactly. <laughs> but but again, like the songs that we all know were the, the first uh, sort of decade? Ten, 10 years yeah. right early 60s yeah, early yeah. 70s i mean maybe some more in the later 70s mm -hmm. i kind of i get a bit um hazy towards the later period same yeah <laughs> actually i i saw the rolling stones at a concert and i think it was the year 2000 give or take a right. year or two yeah it was this big thing that happened in toronto uh which i i I was young, so scratching the memory a little bit, but I think it was the SARS benefit when oh, SARS right. was a thing. Speaking of coronaviruses, but I feel like that was like 2002. It might have been there. Yeah. I don't know, but it might have been another thing. I don't know. Yeah, I, right. Yeah. Regardless, I remember Keith Richards just fell over on stage <laughs> at one point. And now this, so this was what, 20 years ago, like tripped over. He just fell. He just like straight up crumpled. Like, I don't know why. Um, and he couldn't get up on his own. Oh, and wow. some guys from the side of the stage ran out, picked him back up. And then he just kept going like nothing happened and played out the rest of the show. And that was 20 years ago, man. Wow. And the guy's still kicking somehow. Yeah. You know? And I, like back then, like 
How how the hell is he alive? And I'm pretty sure he would have because he's. I'm pretty sure he's sober these days as well. Yeah, I, I mean, you, you would assume. Yeah, um, he'd kind of have to be. Yeah, I think know? he's. I don't know for sure, but I think he's been sober for ages. Yeah. Um, I noticed that was a lot. I'm trying to find it in my notes here. Um, there was a line in um, Lucifer. I think I drink too much now. I'm sober. Mm-hmm. I, I was. I was curious to know if that was literal. Uh, sort of. I'm not sober. Um, right. I actually did do a thing a few years ago where I stopped drinking for like six months, that, yeah. which was a, an interesting experience in my life. Uh, I wouldn't, I definitely recommend it to people who are heavy drinkers. Yeah. But the song loose, I, I tend to, uh, when I write, I, I like to personify what I'm writing about in like a person or an experience that right. somebody's having. Mm-hmm. It isn't necessarily always my own. It might be, but the song Lucifer is about just kind of the demons in general that are associated with alcoholism yes. or substance right. abuse. Yeah. And so, and were you leaning on it too heavy in the, in the past? Yeah, I would yeah. say definitely at, at times. Um, yeah, maybe still sometimes, yeah, you know, yeah. but, uh, but it, it was, the song was just kind of, it was a response to all of that. Like, right. and it was just, I don't know, it, it, I was definitely feeling really strongly at that time. And it was to, to be fair, not long after I had, I'd gone through, um, I had, I did, just had a surgery on my throat. Um, oh, right. and, and I hadn't, yeah, I hadn't been drinking in a while and, um, yeah, but it, it's yeah, it's it's about alcoholism and stuff in general, not necessarily my own problems, but sure. just kind of the the beast that can rest on various people's shoulders. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I actually thought a lot about the lyrics for that one. I don't always, <laughs> um, but it, I'm glad that you brought it up because right. it was uh, yeah, it was a song that had a lot of feelings in it. You know? Well, what sort of inspired it? Was it just that experience that you went through? Or I mean, I've, it's something that I've seen in so many people, yeah. um, and it's you know, so it's it's mine and it's everybody else's. I mean, in music, it's it's a really tough industry, oh, and yeah. you know, and and artistic industries in general, mm-hmm. like to be critiqued for art mm-hmm. is going to weigh on your soul and yep. to try to like New Zealand's a particularly tough place for it because our market is pretty small. Mm-hmm. So like you can, you can grind for years playing great music and never cut through in a sense where right. you'll actually be supported by this. So everybody works several jobs and doesn't yeah. sleep. And That's then right. when you do tours, like you're, you're on your own doing it in a van, like yeah. you don't have support. So it's, it's definitely an industry that drives a lot of people to it. Also, it's an industry that's known for its successes as well. And mm-hmm. it kind of feels like you need to live in that spot too. Right. Like, yeah. Um, and coming back to, to playing the role, uh, you know, the yeah. tropes of, of rock and roll, like yeah. we kind of have to be, you know, beer drinking, bearded rock gods yeah. because that's what you expect me to be. I, I know, <laughs> you know exactly what you mean. And I've felt that pressure over the mm-hmm. years too. And and sometimes it sort of comes from an innocent place, but it'll be yeah. from audience members or people you know. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you know, so you're going to get fucked up now? Or, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you, you want some of this? Yeah, yeah. And Come like, party after the show, all yeah. that kind of stuff. And yeah. the reality is often like, I can't, I've got to load all my gear out. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I, yeah you know, I got an eight hour drive tomorrow. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. <laughs> and then I got to do this again and i still got to be good right yeah exactly yeah that was a that was that was a difficult decision that i made one day where i was like i'm actually gonna you know 
be not drunk and sh- mm. do shows. Yeah. <laughs> because when I when that happens, I'm better. <laughs> it was like, who knows? You know? Well, I had, I mean, you know, I had exactly the same thing happen a couple of years ago. I was playing a New Year's show. Um, it was actually at Totra Street. Oh, yeah. and, um, and half of the band were completely shit-faced. And I just felt embarrassed to be there. And I looked at the yeah. audience members and I thought, you know, these people have paid good money and, and they've chosen to come here for their New mm-hmm. Year's instead of somewhere else. Yeah. And, um, you know, it wasn't my band, so it wasn't really up to me. But I just thought, this fucking sucks, you know. <laughs> and like, and I've worked really, really hard in my life to get good at what I do. Yeah. And then just at the last minute, you just dilute what you do. Yeah. With alcohol. And, I, and yeah, I mean... But I, there's I, a flip side to that too. Because right. there's also... Like a lot of people in creative industries are naturally shy people. That's right. And I never could perform without a little bit of liquid courage. Sure. Yeah. Like you know, you, especially with that kind of looseness, right? Yeah. And yeah. and and like I find it difficult to look at people in the eyes yeah. in the audience. Like Same. you know what I mean? Because it's just like all the time I'm just thinking like. What's this like? This person is being like, man. What's this guy up to? Like, who does he think he is? Like, he's just a guy, you know. What right does he have to kind of shout in my face? Do you get that more though as the years go on? Ah, uh, yeah, a lot. Because like, uh, I remember being a teenager, I was fucking fearless, man. Actually, you're you know? you're not wrong. Yeah. yeah, in high school and stuff, like I I played in I it was always punk bands, man. Yeah. And the punk energy was just like the thing. Yeah. You know, and you just kind of you were that way, and I was fearless, and yeah. it was awesome. Right. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, maybe it is an age thing. But I think you do. You get older and you kind of become more aware of your own mortality. Yeah. And you, and you kind I of mean, go, I've always, I think a lot of bands say this, but your hardest shows are your shows at home because right. like people literally know you. That's right. Yeah. You, know? you can't play the role. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're just like, oh no, that's Alex. It's not, <laughs> it's not, it's not Elvis from Skinny Hobos. It's like, <laughs> no, that's Alex. Like. I did that guy's taxes. Like, what's he doing? You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I've managed to um, not drink since that gig on, on stage, and I actually feel way better for it. I, yeah. I like being clear. Yeah. I know what you mean about feeling that need to loosen up, but I think there are other ways to get there. Absolutely. You know? And you know? I mean... And I'm not judging anyone else who has a drink no. before a gig. You know, it's just my own thing, but... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, how did you feel after six months of not drinking? And then... I was a lot why, healthier. <laughs> like, well, why did you start again? Was it... Um. So... It was, it was kind of, I needed to make some real serious life choices at that time. Like I had been in a really dark place for about a year. It was affecting lots of my life. And I was like, I was real fat and I was like really depressed and I just needed to change. And I, it all actually came to a head. Um, we got to play at the rock 1500 party at the power station with she had awesome and it was like it was a really big gig and i was terrible right like i was so bad and i know because we filmed it and i watched (laughs) it and it was just awful and it was kind of a bit of a wake-up call like i realized i i'd been thinking already that i needed to make some life changes but then i just saw how bad we were at that show and how good the show was and how much like i just let myself down and what are you are you referring to like making mistakes in the songs or what no are you... that's never been a problem right. uh, as far as the guitar yeah. part of it goes mm-hmm. i could do that shit with my eyes closed you right. know yeah it's not a complicated band but it was <laughs> it was i mean the performance aspect of it like i was saying a lot of stupid shit right. and like and i was singing just way out 
right. and yeah. like and forgetting the words and right. stuff and yeah and i don't know it was just yeah and i'm sure there was like i, I, I yeah, i'm struggling to remember a little bit but i'm sure there was like you know parts of songs that i forgot to do and sure. stuff yeah. like that yeah but uh, yeah, I don't know. It was just it was it was it was not a good show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we know? all we all have them. Yeah, yeah. And, and were you shit face on that one? Yeah, I was. I was. I was hammered. <laughs> um, because it's like it's it's a real big party those ones, and it starts yeah. real early. Like because um, everybody comes in to like for the last twenty songs on the countdown or whatever. Right. So the party starts like noon or something like that, and yeah. So we we're just drinking all day and. <laughs> you know um but that was i mean that was that was a catalyst but it was only part of the story like i was not happy with who i was at the time yep. just in general so like um yeah so i just you know i put i put everything off for a bit and i started to eat healthy and i started to i exercise and, and just all that kind of stuff yeah and it made a huge difference in my life and then i ended up um getting surgery um, on my throat cause uh, I'd really worn myself out vocally. Yeah. Um, like polyps or something. Or? Yeah. And, yeah. uh, and then they also took out my tonsils, which was like a whole other thing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, so after that, like after that whole experience, I feel like I was like a better person in general Yeah. and like, but I, I was never, like it was never my intention to be a sober person necessarily. I just mm. needed to be in control of all of the parts of my life. And okay. I wanted to be a happier person. Yeah. And so, I mean, that mostly worked. And, and so you sort of maintained that newer lifestyle? <laughs> yeah, within reason. Although I think like a lot of people, I made a few mistakes during the various lockdowns we've had this sure. year. Oh, it's been a <laughs> fucking hard year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and when you're sitting at home all the time with nothing to do, like yep. you just, uh, I definitely got into some like bad food and alcohol habits. But yeah. I think yeah. we can kind of give ourselves a break this year. Yeah, though. I think so too. You know what I mean, yeah. Yeah, you've, got to, you've got to have some grace. Yeah. And it's been such a surreal year. You mm -hmm. know, we've all put on a few pounds and, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. Yeah. But there are positives as well, I think, you know, especially in New Zealand, like we can be more great, grateful for stuff. Absolutely. And, yeah. and like, and I know that I am super grateful because like right now I feel great and yeah. I feel healthy and happy and stuff. And you're obviously, you don't obviously have the, um, like I don't quite know, the, you know where the line is in regards to alcoholism versus someone who can manage it mm -hmm. you know and um and i know that probably a lot of alcoholics um you know they what well, they say the first step is admitting you're an alcoholic yeah. and you know so probably right before that the the classic line is well i'm not an alcoholic yeah right <laughs> i don't have yeah. a problem you know but that's what i hear myself saying all the time but I've, i feel like i can say it because i i certainly lent on alcohol big time in the past mm -hmm. and um and these days i actually just don't really want it that much mm -hmm. and i'm happy to like you know on a saturday with some friends like dig in a bit yeah but i i just don't need it you know what i mean yeah i think like addiction is is a lot of things a like thing. because yeah. it's it's not just one thing yeah like, and i think that was like i think i have a really addictive personality in right. general and i could and so it's not um it's, it's for me it's not a particular thing it's like it's what you do in your life yeah like you're what your lifestyle is mm -hmm. and like so it could be as simple as like just i'm always eating the same kind of terrible food yeah and you know and and when i go to a, a place whether so in this case we'll just call place tour sure i will drink way too much always and it's just that but like in different 
places I'm different yeah and it's like it's an association with your like environment i think mm. you know i and think i think i actually theorize that we're all addictive we all mm. have addictive personalities yeah but I mean, we we're get creatures addicted. of habit yeah exactly and yeah. we get addicted to different things and like some people are addicted to exercise mm-hmm. you know or some people are addicted to like healthy food yeah and stuff so their addiction doesn't present as as destructive yeah i actually noticed that really firsthand because when i came out the other side of like all the stuff that i was doing like i I was li- I was addicted to feeling good. You know? <laughs> right. I was like yeah. I was addicted to that feeling of waking up in the morning and not hating myself. And that's <laughs> a great thing. So yeah. yeah. So we. So you know, addiction isn't necessarily mm-hmm. a terrible thing in construct. You know. Yeah. And perhaps the answer in some of the time in, in some of these situations is just to shift your addiction. Yeah. To other things. You to, know? To, to more positive just, things. Yeah. It's all about lifestyle. I think is, exactly. is a really big thing. Yeah. yeah. And there's yeah there's lots of ways of yeah yeah. So I saw um, on Facebook recently um, a comment I didn't completely understand, mm-hmm. which was about, um, I'll read it to you. This was our last Auckland show for the foreseeable future yeah. for real this time. It's hard to play a show when your drummer's on the other side of the world. Was this a recent comment? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sam, so yeah, that's true. So Sam is moving to Canada in a week and a half. Oh, um, right. Yeah. And uh, with everything that's going around around the world, we don't know what that means yeah. for being able to travel and stuff. Interesting time to move um, overseas. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was because he got a visa before all the shit hit the fan. Right. So like yeah. and the terms of his visa are that he needs to go to Canada this year to activate it. Right. Okay, right. And then he's got he's got I think it's like a two year thing that he can do. So like regardless, it's something that he's wanted to do forever. Sure. Um and so yeah, and uh, we haven't publicly stated much about it yet, but yeah. we're about to. When does this come out, actually? It'll, I can tell you exactly if you like. Um, 20th of November. So that's two and a half weeks. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, I'll definitely talk about something I'm doing tomorrow then, because I'm doing a thing on the 21st, but that's beside okay. the point. <laughs> um, so by the time that this interview comes out, yeah, I would say it's fairly likely that we would have announced it to an extent right but yeah skinny hobos is going on hiatus okay um we will be doing some stuff in march because we're playing at homegrown uh-huh. yeah uh i probably can't say what that stuff is yeah <laughs> <laughs> um because some of it is organized some of it isn't yeah I can't answer the question about whether or not it will involve new music because I honestly don't know if we'll be able to do anything before then right? Uh, because I have no idea what's going to happen with the world. So yeah. there's a lot of uncertainty around this. But right. yeah, the band's going on hold for a bit. Okay. Um, and it's just, that's, that's kind of the end of it. Like you don't, I mean, yeah. I'm sure you're thinking somewhere in the back of your head, like maybe I'll keep it going or maybe that's uh, it. I'm not or... going to keep it going without him. Definitely not. Not okay. interested in that at all. Okay. Um I'll, yeah, I don't really love our music. <laughs> I, I, this sounds like I'm being self-deprecating, right. um, but like honestly, the whole reason why the band was the band was because this is what I did with my buddy, you know. Yeah, and it was a lot of fun for a long, long time. But I feel like I've been less interested in it specifically, and I feel like regardless of whether Sam was moving or not, this was coming to an end. At least the way okay. that it is now. Yeah. Like we, 
I, I, I do very strongly feel like there's another album in there because we've written most of it, you mm-hmm. know, and there's some, there's some stuff that I want to say, and I would have really enjoyed putting that out. Right. Um, if the world hadn't died this year, yeah. uh, you know, it was, it was going to, it was going to be a thing, but will it come out in the future? Probably, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> Who you know, knows what's going on around I mean, the world? I actually know? quite like the, the, that what so you know i mean i i think that bands are about friendship mm-hmm. you know and i i don't know if that's a loyalty thing or if you're just sort of recognizing it's not the skinny hobos well, without them i mean we have never been able to write music apart yeah every part of everything we've ever done has happened in the room and it's right. always been a jam there's a lot of times i've tried to write stuff at home and it mm. just doesn't work but right. like skinny hobos is what we are when we play together yeah right and you know yeah so so maybe there'll be something else a new band yeah. or something, a new yeah, project or something. Who definitely. Knows? We'll see what um, happens. Yeah. And yeah. I, I definitely hope to play with Sam again because yeah. we've definitely got this like unspoken musical connection and yeah. maybe that'll be Skinny Hobos. Like I am Canadian, so I can go there. Oh, yeah, <laughs> it's true. not a hassle. So <laughs> yeah. like maybe we'll go play over there, you know. Um, I assume that's a coincidence that he wanted to go to where you're from. Yeah, it right. is because yeah. he he's uh, he's just fallen in love with the mountains and the skiing and the I, snowboarding I and all that it. kind of stuff. Yeah, so it. like he yeah. did that here last year. He was working down on the mountains, and so like he he wants to go do that over there. So yeah, cool. All right. Well, I mean, is there anything else to add? Any other any other things coming up you want to talk about or anything like that? Yeah. So um, the day after this interview comes out, <laughs> I'm going to be playing uh, in Christchurch with the Tokena tribute, nice. uh, Aaron Tokena tribute, um, yeah. except without Sam this time, because by the time this comes out, he'll have moved. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm playing with another friend of mine playing drums. So that'll be lots of fun and i'm doing a couple shows playing bass for another auckland band called dead favors oh yeah um, just they, just yeah. filling in for a bit um so by the time this interview comes out i'll have already done one of them in auckland we're playing with autozam actually which right. will be yeah. a bit of a throwback because yeah. one of the first like decent gigs that skinny hobos ever did was supporting autozam right. in 2015 yeah, so the tuning fork right uh yeah the tuning fork yeah. one yeah so that by the time this comes out, it will have already happened. So I'll just say this is that was what a great show. Yes, oh, it's fantastic. You know? Yeah, I heard all about it. Yeah, yeah but we're gonna play again. I'm playing with them again in Christchurch in December. Yeah, like fifth, I think. And yeah, December fifth, and it's at um, it's at a really cool festival that's called Summer Party that was put on um, by like a, a friend of ours. Yeah, and he's um him and I are the only people that have been to all of his festivals now because Skinny Hobos (laughs) has played three of them. Right. And so, and um, Sam wasn't even at the last one because that was when he'd been injured. So that was, I played that one with Nick. Um, So yeah, me and and Dion are the only people that have been to all of his festivals now. So (laughs) that's that's cool. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming in and, um, and, you know, good luck with whatever you do next. Thanks, man. I mean, there's a lot of music happening, so. Yeah, exactly. And I guess this is the time for people who still want to see Skinny Hobos. Yeah. even if it's a slightly different version this, yeah. is, this is the time I, yeah it's just skinny hobos playing Kyra and I fight tunes you know <laughs> which honestly is really cool yeah. like what a band oh yeah my god yeah and they're, yeah. they're um, doing a bunch of stuff in LA right now yeah. I know they're back in the studio right now yeah they're at Dave Grohl's yeah. uh, I think it's called Studio 606 I want to say I'm probably getting that wrong but yeah yeah, yeah, um, yeah man it looks real cool I'm so jealous <laughs> I've got um, I'm friends with Nick on, on, on the internet we're, we're in internet pals yeah and uh yeah and he was sending me some stuff and i was just like like i, li- I literally just 
said, I've never been so jealous of anybody <laughs> in my life, man. And their guitarist, their, their new guitarist, mm-hmm. George, is, yeah. is killer. Dude, yeah. his rig is ridiculous, oh, too. Yeah. Like, he's yeah. got so many amps oh, yeah. and so many pedals. And his resume is pretty ridiculous yeah. as well. He was like, yeah, like, write, wrote for Black Eyed Peas for, right. like, whatever, 20 years or yeah. so. Most of the hits. Yeah, yeah. so good for him. <laughs> well, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. Good, good times. That was Alex Ferrier. The band is and soon to be was the Skinny Hobos. That was a fascinating conversation. I I had a blast. Thanks, Alex, for coming on the show. Thank you to overflowsupport.co.nz. Thank you to Rockbox Electronics. Website is rockbox.com. Thank you to everybody for listening and tuning in and so on. And we will catch you on the next one. Cheers. If you find what we're doing useful and you like this podcast please do like share and subscribe and give us a review on itunes